You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian Geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, podcasting from New York City on the eve of the U.S. election. Before I get into the meat of this podcast, which will focus on South Korean politics with a uh, guest, uh, Stephen Denny, on the show today, I do want to offer some brief thoughts on the U.S. election, which has really been quite the ride. It's been going on for over a year and a half now, and really, it is one of the more notable elections in U.S. history. And I want to briefly discuss the effect that the election and the rhetoric surrounding the election, particularly from the Republican nominee Donald Trump, has had on U.S. Uh, the perception of the United States in the Asia Pacific. So Hillary Clinton is, with little doubt, one of the more qualified people to have ever run for the U.S. Uh, presidency in history. She was the Secretary of State, previously a senator from New York, before that First Lady, and a uh, an accomplished lawyer before that as well. Donald Trump, on the other hand, um, is pretty much a TV celebrity with no experience in elected or appointed office of any kind, um, running for the nation's highest office. And Trump has made many remarks that have really caused concern uh, across the world. And this isn't something unique to Asia in any way. It's something that U.S. partners in Europe and the Middle East have also taken note of. Um, and, you know, Trump's rhetoric wouldn't have been a problem, except that, you know, if you look at the polling in this country, there really was, you know, we'll see what's going to happen tomorrow um, on uh, November 8th. But there is a real chance that Trump could still win the presidency, um, even if, you know, you look at the estimates from places like 538 that uh, he's still an underdog with about maybe 30 percent is what Nate Silver has predicted for him now. But the thing is, the, the possibility of a Trump victory wasn't entirely remote or unthinkable. And that in itself represents an unacceptable tail risk for countries in the Asia Pacific that are U.S. allies. And here I'm thinking, obviously, of South Korea, Japan, um, the Philippines, maybe, um, well, maybe before Rodrigo Duterte. But for Japan and South Korea, you look at Trump and, you know, where before you might have been worried about U.S. commitment to the region through initiatives like the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now you're starting to worry about U.S. extended deterrence commitments and broader um, military posture in the Asia Pacific as well. Trump has said that South Korea and Japan should think about going nuclear because you know, the United States is essentially paying through the nose for these alliances and not getting anything in return. Um, essentially, a lot of what Trump has said has raised the possibility in the Asia Pacific that the liberal international order could at any given moment have the rug pulled out from under it, uh, essentially falling apart entirely, uh, which is what a Trump victory would likely represent to many of these countries in the Asia Pacific. So, Tomorrow, in about 24 hours from this podcast being recorded, we'll find out what the final fate of the United States will be after 2016. And if Hillary Clinton wins, we will see continuity and Clinton will have quite the task ahead of her. She will have to restore confidence in American leadership in the Asia Pacific, not only with U.S. allies and partners, but also, uh, you know, with uh, countries like China, where undoubtedly there is an element of competition. And China, uh, China's relationship with Clinton, a lot has been written about that. The Chinese don't perceive Clinton highly positively, but uh, you know she would have her work cut out there as well. Trump, on the other hand, has called for a trade war with China that would send both the United States and the broader world, and including China, into uh, economic disarray. So I just wanted to offer those thoughts on this election. We'll find out soon enough the decision that the United States has made. And I shall be back with my usual co-host, Prashant, later this week to talk over the challenges facing the next U.S. president, be that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Uh, with that, I want to turn over to the main agenda of this podcast, which is South Korea's political scandal. And to help me understand that, I have Stephen Denny on. Well, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be here. 
Great. Well, um, I'm hoping you'll help us uh, separate truth from fiction on this, um, you know, the Choi Gate that's underway in uh, South Korea. So very briefly for our readers, I'll just go into the contours of this political scandal that's really shaken uh, South Korea. Uh, so essentially, uh, President Park Geun-hye of uh, South Korea was... Um, She's under fire for having allowed a longtime personal confidant, Choi Shin-shil, to have undue and improper uh, influence over affairs of state without any formal role uh, working for the government. And uh, this included, you know, everything from uh, domestic policy to security policy to even the very clothes that Pak herself has worn. Uh, making matters worse, uh, Choi has also used her influence to allegedly uh, pursue kickbacks from uh, South Korean conglomerates, both for herself and her daughter. And those are the very brief contours. Um, but I'm very excited to have with me today uh, Stephen Denny, who is the uh, managing editor of SinoNK.com, which I recommend as an excellent resource in all matters considering the uh, concerning the Korean Peninsula, especially uh, China's role there. Uh, Stephen's also a graduate fellow at the Asian Institute at the University of Toronto and uh, used to contribute to the Diplomats Korean blog. So uh, thanks a lot for joining me today, Stephen. Um, so I gave a very brief rundown of this scandal, Stephen, but is there any other context that you wanted to add before we you know, get into a conversation more about the dynamics of where this might be going? Sure, just a brief comment slash response sure. to your excellent primer. The word influence, I think, could be debated. I think it's clear that Choi shin had access and was invited to advise or otherwise converse with President Park about various matters concerning the affairs of state. But as of today, I st we are still unclear about the extent to which, really if any, she actually influenced the decisions made by Park concerning a whole host of things. It seems plausible that she had at least some modicum of influence, but we don't know quite how much yet. So I would urge people to err on the side of caution when thinking about talking about or writing about the scandal. Mm, that's an important corrective. Um, you know, one of the areas I think where uh, prosecutors have evidence is her uh, Samsung tablet that was found had uh, marked up copies of speeches that were delivered by Park eventually. Uh, do you take that to um, mean influence of sorts, or is that maybe not as significant as it was initially made out to be? Probably some influence is involved. I think it's a matter of degree, isn't it? It is worth noting that Choi did deny that that was even hers. Now, while that seems unlikely, the circumstantial evidence seeming to be in the favor of the prosecution, I still think we need to ask or at least think about uh, just how much influence on the affairs of state uh, Choi really had. And to disaggregate, to add, I think, a further point of clarification, the difference between possible criminal activity on the behalf of Choi and her associates, namely the, exhort the exhortation of large conglomerates for donations to her non-for-profits, which she then allegedly uh, embezzled some amount of, that being separate from the affairs of state, which is what we're talking about right now. Right. Two separate issues. Mm -hmm. One, I think, exclusively uh, is, is has to do with uh, Trace and Chill, and the other one has more to do with President Parkinay. Right. Uh, and I should note that all of this is still very much in flux, and the dust has 
far from settled. Um, so everything we talk about in this podcast could be, uh, you know, overtaken by events, uh, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, I think right. the contours have improved since this broke in late October. Uh, but Stephen, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, as, as someone who watches South Korean politics very closely, I wanted to ask for your opinion on the conventional take uh, that you get on this scandal, particularly in the Western press, but also, you know, in the region and uh, within South Korea as well, that this is highly unusual, even in comparison with previous uh, corruption uh, scandals in uh, South Korea since the transition to democracy. Um, and particularly, you know, some observers have made the remark that uh, Park's, um, you know, involvement with Che appears to be very... Um, I guess, irrational in a sense, that it's not uh, particularly for her personal gain in any way. Um, and obviously, you know, there is the background context where we uh, get into all the talks of cults and shamans and, uh, you know, all this weirdness. Um, and, you know, that's a word that you'll see in a lot of the commentary that's been uh, spilled about this. And, you know, um, I, I, uh, I like that when we spoke before this podcast that you offered a more sober take on that. So I was hoping you could share that with our listeners a bit. Sure. Motivation or the motivations for why Puck did or did not do the number of things that she's alleged to have done, I think will remain unclear and ambiguous. But one thing is clear that this is an issue that's been highly politicized. And it's the politicization and the political fallout, which I've chosen to spend my time that I've devoted to following the scandal and its fallout on. It is perhaps an indication of growing interest in Korea that it's received the amount of press coverage that it has. Uh, but I would urge readers and commenters on this particular issue to, I think, devote an, an equal amount, if not greater, attention to the politics of the issue, which are driving it at this point. Because in South Korea, you, you have uh, certain vested interests in seeing things unfold in a particular way. And I think it might be helpful just to go uh, down the line here. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so that was a very interesting suggestion. So why don't you go into some of those vested interests a bit? Right. Well, let's just talk about the key political actors and or groups. So if we're talking about politics at this level, we're talking about the Blue House uh, and the, the political parties. And then let's let's talk about the people because they're playing a, uh, a notable and conspicuous role uh, post uh, Chue Gate revelation. So you have Pakine, who is a member still today of the ruling Senuri Party. The Senuri Party has taken a divided uh, approach to their response. Within the Senuri Party, you have two, uh, two factions. There are more, and they don't divide so neatly, but let's think about it for, um, for discussion's sake. You have the so-called pro-park faction, which populate the Supreme Council, which is the leadership positions of the party. Among those, only one does not belong to the pro-park faction. And that person, Kang uh, Sokho, if memory serves me correct, mm -hmm. has resigned his leadership position. Because the anti-Park faction has taken the position that Park Geun-hye needs to step down, not step down as in resign, but needs to leave the party in order to save it. Right. That is, to be somewhat blunt, a politically opportunistic position. Whether they believe it or not, let's set that aside. It's in their interest to see Park fail so that they can maneuver themselves into position to 
be the new leaders of whatever uh, manifestation of the Senuri party emerges from this scandal. The pro-Park faction, on the other hand, has had to walk a tight rope. They've had to, and they've taken the, the, the uh, public position of, let's wait to see where the chips fall. Let's wait to see what the prosecution finds. Let's let this event unfold until we know what's really going on. Seems like a reasoned perspective, but, to, but for them too, that is a politically opportunistic route that they are taking. The opposition, which can be broken down into one main opposition and two smaller opposition parties. The Minju party is the main one. They have the most seats uh, after Senuri, who has a plurality of the 300 available in the National Assembly. They've taken the position of wanting Puck to step down to relinquish the control over the affairs of state, but not to relinquish her position as head of state, as a ceremonial role, similar to what, say, the president of Germany fills. And they want her to um, assign, nominate a neutral prime minister from a list of candidates that they may provide. The other two smaller parties, the uh, People's Party, the Gupminidang, uh, to which Anjo Su is a member and former chair, has taken uh, a similar position, but a little bit more rigid. Uh, the Pakchi one, who is the current head of Gupminidang, has refused, from what I was just reading moments before we started this call, he had refused an invitation by the Speaker of the National Assembly for inter-party talks in order to resolve the issue. The third party of the opposition parties is the Justice Party. And they have taken the position that Pak needs to needs to be out. She needs to resign. She needs to leave uh, her position. Their position aligns most closely with this last group, the people. Mm-hmm. The people are varied. And this is difficult because for those who have been following the issue, they will have seen the protests that have taken place, multiple protests, They're the biggest one being last Saturday, where, well, numbers are hard to, uh, are, are, accurate numbers are hard to um, to pinpoint for these such protests. But in Kwangwamun, the central square just outside of the Blue House, tens of thousands of people, probably more than 40 and probably a little bit less than 100, but definitely the largest sense, probably the anti-beef uh, demonstrations during the Yin Buck administration, and they want Puck to resign. The signs say it, they're chanting it. Uh, who are the constituent groups within that crowd? I'm not exactly sure, and I haven't seen anyone who has uh, identified the different groups, but they are in line with the Justice Party, and they are saying that uh, Puck needs to, uh, she needs to resign her presidency, and we need someone else taking over the reins. So that's sort of a domestic breakdown of the different groups and coalitions didn't really focus on individuals so much because I think it's probably a little bit easier and coherent to talk about them as groups, but they certainly are made up of individuals who are vying for position as well. And if there's one thing we know about South Korean political parties is that, especially those to the left, they tend to split. Mm. Right. Well, that was a very helpful breakdown. Uh, Very uh, clear-headed as well. I like the way you presented all of that. Um, You know, and... Given that things are still moving, I do want to ask for your take on where you see, you know, the waves sort of taking the scandal for Pak, especially, um, you know, 
we have an election taking place in South Korea in December 2017, uh, with the next presidential transition to occur in February 2018. Um, obviously, there's quite a bit of time between the scandal breaking and uh, those events coming to pass. Do you think that Park Geun-hye will make it through the remainder of her term, uh, potentially as a fully neutered, um, powerless president? Or uh, do you think that, you know, these uh, calls for her to step down will ultimately force her to take some sort of drastic action? It's a good question, and we don't quite know yet. So the second apology she made didn't seem to placate the um, the the discontent and even anger. Will you know? We're talking about two kinds of stepping down here. One is where she steps down from her position as managers of affairs of state, as commander in chief of the armed forces, and so forth. And another where she uh, quits entirely. Will either of those happen? Will none of those happen? We don't quite know yet. And she seems to be indicating that she's going to write it out. Now, it's quite a long time to write something like this out. But we do know that immediately following controversial events and or scandals, there's a lot more attention directed to them. And there's a certain fatigue associated with it over time. So is she attempting to, to write out... Uh, the post-scandal frenzy until a certain fatigue is set in and a more advantageous counteroffer is presented to her? Or will she heed the calls of the people and of some people within the opposition to resign her mm. uh, control over the affairs of state? And, I mean, the, the calls from the Senuri, some members of the Senuri Party as well. Mm-hmm. And, we you can't know, exactly say yet, right? I yeah, mean, it's, absolutely. It's so it's 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 still new. But what we can say is that she is almost certainly a very lame duck. Right. The opinion polls, which I mean, opinion poll asking to uh, rate the presidency immediately following a scandal is a bit problematic. But the approval ratings, those who approve of her administration, are something around five percent. Right. Yeah. Right. Very, very low. <laughs> and look, I don't want you to, you know, oversimplify this or essentialize uh, South Korean politics in any way here. But, you know, I'm wondering, um, you know, as someone who's uh, studied the history of this country as well, uh, you know, post uh, post the transition to democracy in South Korea, do you see any sort of real precedent for how, you know, other presidents uh, in the past have maybe handled scandals? I mean, uh, I guess most of the previous scandals that have uh, engulfed South Korean presidents uh, in the democratic era have been involving, you know, personal corruption, bribery, uh, alleged um, nepotism. So uh, do you see any historical precedent that's relevant here? Or is this, you know, um, a scandal of its own kind? It's uh, sui generis. No, it is not sui generis. Definitely not that. I will credit my my colleague, Christopher Green, who also works at me at Sino NK, uh, for, for bringing to my attention and to the attention of those who read Sino NK, that four out of the last five presidents have left or been kicked out of their party. And that there have been uh, more than one who have ended their tenure with rock bottom approval ratings. If anything, what we're witnessing is par for the course. Okay, that's, uh, that's again, very helpful to know. Um, and uh, Stephen, you know, since this is called the uh, Asia Geopolitics Podcast, I do want to transition a bit to um, maybe, you know, game through some of the ways this scandal might affect, um, you know, just the Korean Peninsula more broadly, uh, inter-Korean relations, but also um, potentially, you know, 
a certain trends that are underway in the U.S.-South Korea alliance. So let's begin with the alliance, and then we'll talk a bit about North Korea. So um, one of the major developments, um, I think last Friday, uh, Vincent Brooks, the commander of U.S. Forces Korea, said that the current timeline for the deployment of the first terminal high-altitude area defense, uh, missile defense system, is about eight to ten months. And, uh, you know, going back to that political calendar that I laid down, that makes it very likely that the deployment of that, uh, even if there are, especially if there are delays, will bump up into the run-up to the scheduled uh, December elections. How do you see, uh, you know, Pak's potential transition from, uh, you know, a president with uh, quite a bit of say over affairs of state into a very lame duck, as you said? How do you see that affecting uh, these dynamics and more broadly, just the U.S.-South Korea alliance? That's a good question. Let's talk about that first. I think it depends on whether the party, the conservative party, uh, maintains the course, uh, uh, continues to support the deployment of FAD. If it does, it will become an election issue because you would have to imagine that the opposition will then campaign on, on opposing it entirely or perhaps delaying it for an indefinite amount of time. So I think we should watch how the seniority leadership, once the current scandal dies down a bit, the attention that's being devoted to dealing with the fallout dies down some. I think we should watch to see how the party leadership and then whomever steps forward to eventually run as the conservative candidate deals with the issue. But it's it'll be interesting to see how precisely it's politicized because we've got you've got to imagine it will be absolutely one way or another there's there's too much to gain politically from it right i mean even before the scandal that had been highly politicized in south korea um so i'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this uh, all plays out with that um and i guess the second question is uh, obviously inter-korean um you know there have been some troubling allegations um that you know Choi's influence over Pak extended to how she uh, how she saw inter-Korean relations. I guess here we can go back to the circumstances that originally brought uh, Pak and Choi together, which was the assassination of Pak's mother by a North Korean spy while trying to assassinate Pak Chung-hee, her father and former uh, Korean dictator. But um, you know, I wanted to ask you, how do we answer this question of how Choi might or might not have influenced Pak's? understanding of the inter-Korean situation or her policy towards North Korea more directly? How do we answer it? I don't know how we might answer it, absent a smoking gun. Mm. I think we can look at uh, policies that have been pursued vis-a-vis previous administrations. What you have in the Park Geun-hye administration and for the Seinuri party writ large is a continuation of South Korea's North Korea policy since Kim Young-bak. I think that's the the most salient point in my mind, anyway, mm-hmm. which would indicate that she had very little, if any at all, influence over what uh, Park may or may not have thought and what she ultimately did. Her and her administration decided to do. I know people have highlighted the fact that Trey apparently commented on the Dresden speech wherein Pakane described unification as a bonanza, et cetera, et cetera. But I think when you look at policy outcomes, you don't see any difference, significant difference anyway, between the previous administration, a conservative one, and the current one. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right about the smoking gun. Uh, absent direct evidence uh, or, you know, real psychological insight here, uh, it's very hard to talk about these issues in uh, concrete terms. Uh, well, Stephen, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and offering, I thought, what, what was a very uh, clear breakdown of this scandal in South Korea that I think has attracted a bit of sensationalist commentary out there. But uh, hopefully our listeners um, have a better understanding of the stakes and the direction of uh, where this all might head in South Korea. So thank you. Yes, thanks for having me on. I enjoy talking about it. Pleasure, and I hope to have you back on. Um, and like I said, for listeners, if you're interested in, in, in a Stevens' work, uh, do keep an eye on SinoNK.com. Uh, I, I certainly refer to it regularly for my understanding of the Korean Peninsula, and I encourage you to do the same as well. To our listeners, thanks as usual for listening to the podcast, and please do leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That would really be wonderful and really helps the podcast gain a larger audience. And if you're interested in hearing something on this podcast that we haven't yet done, please do reach out to me either on social media or via email. I'm pretty easy to reach on Twitter, where my handle is at NKTPND, just my name without any spaces or vowels. And with that, we'll be back later this week with another podcast on the stakes in the Asia-Pacific for the next U.S. president. Thanks a lot for listening.